Welcome to the Active Faith Podcast, where faith meets an active lifestyle. My name is Andrew, and I am your host, and I am the Running Rev. This is not just any other podcast about an active lifestyle, but join us as we unpack an active self-care practice and how we connect it to our faith and vocation. These are conversations with others as we seek to build a theology of self-care together, exploring how we actively care for ourselves in whatever way feels best for us as we seek to live out our faith and vocations. This is episode 27, and today on the podcast, we will be having Charlie Baber join us for a conversation, and we are going to be exploring this nature of self-worth. Friends, as we enter the month of June, it is Pride Month, and we look uh, to being an ally for the LGBTQ plus community. And in that, self-worth becomes such a crucial conversation for us to have, not just as practitioners of self-care, but also conveyors of a healthy theology of self-care in that we can care for one another. And so we today are going to hear and listen to and conversate with Charlie as we hear his story, his nature of self-worth, and how his nature of self-worth has led him down this journey of self-care. Um, and I just enjoyed so much having this conversation with Charlie. Uh, when I thought about this conversation, when I wanted to bring him on, uh, he uh, offered this opportunity to talk about self-worth, and it is such a great conversation. So let's jump right in and hear from Charlie. All right, so we are joined today by Charlie Baber. Charlie is a pastor uh, serving in North Carolina. And so, Charlie, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, let's get started. Let's introduce you to our listeners. So who are you? Where are you from? And how are you active? Well, my name is Charlie Baber. I grew up in Cumberland County, Virginia, in the middle of nowhere, and um, now call Chapel Hill, North Carolina, my home. And uh, I think uh, the how am I active question has certainly changed over the years. Um, I will say uh, COVID and some major life changes during the pandemic um, have kind of lent itself to me uh, not being as active as I used to. Um, so to make up for that, my family gave me an early Father's Day present, and I got a hybrid bike, and I have a goal to ride daily this summer and get back into the habit of being active again. Oh, fun. All right. Uh, and so uh, here in the how, getting out there, getting active yourself. Uh, so why are you active? Gosh. Um, so there were years, Andrew, where I participated in an early morning men's workout group called F3. And um, they're kind of all over the place. You just sort of look them up and find them. And um, uh, for me, it, it was it was kind of similar to your CrossFit style boot camp outdoors, rain or shine. Um, but uh, it uh, it just it made me feel better than I had ever felt before in my life physically, but also um, uh, really mentally um, because I was a uh, the years that I was very active in that, um, I was living in the parsonage adjacent to the church where I worked, like literally the parking lot of the church. And uh, my kid's school was right across the street. And it just felt like everywhere I went, 
I was the pastor. Um, but at this men's workout group, like you have nicknames and nobody cares what your job is. And um, so it was both like a physical workout, but also uh, an environment, a group of, of people who um, just saw me as another human <laughs> and I didn't have to perform for them. So it was, it was pretty cool. And there's a lot when we think about that kind of why, when it begins to set the stage uh, for, for one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on here. So it's not as much your physical activity that really draw me to you, drew me to you, Charlie. Uh, it was your artistic endeavors as we unpack this nature of a theology of self-care. Uh, and even now about, you know, uh, 26, 27, 28 episodes into this podcast, of noticing how I want to dive more into that nature of self-care rather than the nature of always looking at the physical activity. And I have always looked towards you and your passion for drawing as something that is just a great encourager, uh, not just because of the things that you draw. Uh, so for those of you listening, uh, Charlie has his own little creative endeavor called the Wesley Brothers Comics, uh, which is great. Um, and so what made you, I mean, I got to think you've been knowing how to draw from an early age. I've uh, got a friend, Brian Backrack. He remembers you coming to Richmond yes. District stuff and, and drawing and stuff like that. And so what really started that desire and that drive to draw? And then what made you want to turn that drawing into sort of a creative outlet for yourself? Yeah. Um, so as a kid, I always thought I would grow up to be a comic artist. That was kind of my goal, um, and it seemed like a lot of things were leading me in that direction. But then um, I really got uh, drawn into my youth ministry and uh, went to college to pursue a degree in religious studies instead of art. Um, I minored in art, and had I continued to draw comics for the school newspaper. But once I began uh, full-time ministry after college, I really stopped creating art for quite a few years. Um, and then I came to uh, Duke Divinity School and really fell in love with the history of the church and just um, the the ways that our beliefs were shaped by context and experiences over time, um, and the ways that all these heroes of the faith were people just like us. Um, and so uh, through the ordination process in the United Methodist Church, um, uh, that can be life-giving at times, but it can also be weary-making for a lot of people um, because you're constantly trying to prove your calling and your self-worth to this board of people who may or may not really know you or see you in ministry. Um, and uh, during that process, I, um, I was getting through very smoothly. Like uh, It was not nearly as difficult for me as it was for some of my peers. And um, when I was accepted uh, for ordination, or well, for commissioning and then ordination, um, it, it surprised me that I got through in the first try. And some people that I thought were far better ministers than I mm -hmm. were continued and had to keep trying years down the road. Um, and so I, I kind of got cold feet uh, going into ministry because um, I was closeted. I, I knew I was gay, but nobody else knew. Um, and so I've had like this imposter feeling like, um, you know, I got through easy, but 
I know for a fact that if anybody on this committee knew that I was gay, they would not have passed me mm-hmm. um, simply for that reason. Um, and so uh, I couldn't tell anybody that because I was too closeted to let yeah. anybody know those reasons. Um, but I, um, I, I really, I, I saw an opportunity to process my own internal closetedness, um, my own frustrations with the church, um, and my own things that I saw as beautiful and good in my life and in the church life. Um, and I, I thought I could do that through a weekly comic strip, um, which was one of my first loves since childhood. Um, and, you know, I, I loved the life story of John and Charles Wesley. And um, I had really at the time gotten into um, reading web comics that were based on historical figures, but um, kind of set in a modern world. Um, and so I, I saw that hey, this idea could probably find an audience. Um, so I, I, I put together a couple of different sketches of how I wanted John and Charles to look, and I posted them to friends, and um, people gave me feedback, and then I was like, all right, we're going to give this a shot. And um, so at first, honestly, it was just a self-discipline to get back into the habit of creating art on a regular basis, um, and it allowed me to process my own theology um, and the kind of an outlet for frustrations that I had. Mm-hmm. I did not expect to gain an audience. I mean, at first it was a Tumblr site. I didn't put any money into it. <laughs> um, but people were responding really positively, very quickly. Um, and so I learned how to build a, a WordPress website and um, bought the domain name and was very lucky that nobody had bought wesleybros.com. And, um, and so it, it just kind of took off from there. And, um, you know, there's been seasons here and there where I need a break, but by and large, um, creating weekly comics about the faith has been, um, it has been a spiritual discipline for me. And it seems like at least from my observation, as I've followed Wesley Brothers just throughout my ministry. I mean, even as I was going through the process, I relied on your playing cards to kind of help me a little bit. Friends, if you need to know what that is, uh, go to his website. They are just amazing and great. Um, I brought my Wesley Brothers mug to my ordination interviews. <laughs> um, and, and I told him, I said, it's just a comforting factor, whether it held coffee or water. Um, it was just a comforting <laughs> factor as I sat there in my ordination interviews. And it almost appears to me that this creative space that had been uh, created within yourself was was not just a way, you, you talk about it as a way to help others, but it was also a way to express yourself. Um, and, and you talk about a lot of the depth that went into that, just a lot of the things, your own uh, imposter syndrome, your own uh, sexual identity, your own uh, leading as a pastor, all of these things going into it. And so what was the nature of that creative space? You talked about how it became something that others could experience, but I'd love to dive more into the outlet that it provides to you. Uh, What is is the mentality? What is going into, what does that sacred time look like as you're drawing, as you're expressing your creativity, as you're putting your own feelings on paper? Or, uh, I mean- 
I don't know if you draw on an iPad or, or, or what these <laughs> days, uh, but, but as you're, you know, putting these comics and giving them life, what is going on within you that is coming out in that, in that form? Yeah. Um, so uh, it's, it's a multi-step process for me. Usually I'm kind of just chewing on ideas during the week and seeing what sticks and what I want to actually explore. I almost always have to do some level of reading and research because mm -hmm. I want it to be fairly accurate. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have some connections with uh, Methodist history professors that I deeply respect, and they seem to like my project. So sometimes I'll reach out to them and say, um, am I accurately representing Wesleyan theology with this statement here? And sometimes they'll say yes, and sometimes they'll say, go back and try again. Mm -hmm. I'm just like a professor. but um, uh, for me, uh, the the actual sitting down and and scripting out and laying out and sketching, inking and coloring the comic is something I get um, completely focused and wrapped up in. Um, so it's um, I would call the drawing process for me similar to prayer um, in that. Um, you know, you have sort of like your labyrinth prayers where you just sort of are wandering around in the presence of God. Um, that, that's kind of what I feel is happening for me when I'm drawing, especially um, when I'm drawing something that is really resonating with me that week. Um, and uh, my process is I, I usually first write the script um, and then I decide what the layout design is going to be, meaning, you know, the boxes, the shapes mm -hmm. and where the boxes go. Um, and for me, that's just as important as the actual illustrations, because um, you might emphasize something by making it larger or wider. And, um, and then uh, the sketching and the inking is very <laughs> therapeutic for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but my, the thing I actually hate the most is having to do the word bubbles for the, uh... <laughs> man, I hate that part. I really wish uh, I could afford to hire someone to do the lettering for me, but there's not a lot of money in web comics. I don't yeah, know if you knew that. Um, so <laughs> sometimes the uh, amount of money in content creation is not at the level that we'd like it to be sometimes. Mm, that's, that's true. Yeah. Um, but no, that's neither here nor there. But one of the, one of the things that it really wraps up and encapsulates as you put all this stuff to paper, and one of the things that you highlighted as we were chatting beforehand was this idea of self worth. Yeah, and this idea of coming back in the process of you needed a way or you desired a way to express yourself uh, that for lack of a better phrasing, and unfortunately it has to be put this way in our modern day society, in a way that was accepted by society. Um, in a way that uh, sort of, in your terms, closeted you from the judgment, unfortunately, that folks in our denomination, folks in our society uh, may judge you differently, uh, could take away your job, could take away uh, some of those things. And it, and unfortunately, like, I hate naming that, but right. it becomes, it becomes a point of self-worth in it. Yeah. Um, and so I see a great expression in your artistic desire and in that nature of self-care 
to portray a manner of self-worth, to portray what it means as self-worth as a form of self-care and how important that becomes. And so as you're caring, as you're caring for yourself, even beyond the drawing, but as you're caring for yourself, how do you, I'm almost trying to phrase the question, but, but I I think I'll just go with it. Like what role does self-worth play in your own practice of self-care? Yeah. Um, so as someone who did not have a lot of self-worth for many, many years, um, I'll start there. Um, well, and to pause there, because I think that there may be a lot of people who are in that boat. Right as well. And so I didn't, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no. So, um, I was, uh, married to a woman who was my best friend. We have two kids together and, um, nobody knew that I was gay. It was nobody. She had no idea. And, um, uh, I just, so I felt like an imposter everywhere. Um, and, um, the, the church was really starting to have uh, conversations around the issues of homosexuality. And I was often leading those conversations pastorally and um, would have, I was very loved at my church. Don't get me wrong, but um, there would be people that would come up to me and have no idea who I really was on the inside and say, I would leave this church if we had a gay pastor. And I'm sitting there thinking, uh, you have a gay pastor now, you just don't know it. And you love your gay pastor. Um, but I couldn't say that. <laughs> and um, it, it actually was taking a, a very physical toll on me. Um, I was, I developed um, what are called ocular migraines in that I carried so much stress um, from my fear and depression and anxiety all stemming from a complete lack of self-worth that I was literally giving myself migraines that led to vertigo. Mm. Um, So uh, it took an amazing therapist two years to convince me um, that who I was, was um, as a gay man was beloved. And this was still not having come out to anyone. Um, and, and that I didn't have to earn the favor or approval of every single person out there. Um, and every single person out there doesn't need to know my whole story. Um, so those, those sorts of developments for me were really helpful in getting to a place where I was able to come out um, and coming out was very hard. Um, I mean, I, I, I had no concept of whether I would, what that would mean for my marriage, what that would mean for my kids, for my job at the church, friendships, family, none of that. There's no guarantees. Um, statistically, um, it's broken into thirds. One third of people come out and are accepted one third come out and are rejected and lose everything. And the other third refuse to come out because they're too afraid because of the chances. Um, so I was very lucky and blessed to be affirmed by my church and my family. And um, it was very painful um, to uh, 
go through divorce. And, um, but <laughs> my, my ex-wife and I are best friends now. Like we've worked mm-hmm. through it. Enough time has passed. And we're like, you know what? We actually know each other better now than we ever did before. Um, and, and for me, um, coming out and being true and honest, um, it, it was the first time, this, this may sound very silly, it was very much an Aldersgate experience for me, for those who know Wesleyan history, um, in that um, I had been preaching the love of Christ to teenagers for almost 20 years, and I believed it desperately for them but I didn't believe it was true for me um, because I had always prayed for God to make me straight, for God to change me. Um, here I am, you know, being as righteous and holy as possible. So shouldn't I be straight? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it never happened. And so I just came to this point where I thought um, God had given up on me or the love of Christ was for everyone except me. Um, and so after coming out and um, finally being comfortable in my own skin, I was like, holy cow, God loves me exactly the way I am. Amen. And um, that's always been true. And it wasn't just a message for other people. It was for me. It, it's a message for LGBTQ people everywhere. And um God, to just finally accept that was it was a salvation experience, um, uh, you know. And I had had, I would say, conversion moments in my life where the love of God felt so real and so near. Um, but this this has really sustained me um, to finally just rest in. Um, the truth that God made me this way and delights in my happiness as a queer person. And so that um, I will say that that level of self-acceptance and finding self-worth and um, truly accepting that I'm beloved by God, even when um, it's very difficult and painful to watch what's happening in our denomination um, I, I have to constantly go back and rest in that belovedness. Um, it, it, it's, <laughs> you know, you, you talk about, uh, Jesus saying a peace that passes understanding. I think I get that now in a way mm-hmm. that I hadn't before. And I think when, I mean, just focusing that nature of self-worth, on the manner in which we understand and know how to be able to love ourselves, that if we don't find worth in how we identify ourselves or how we feel in which we've been created in God's image, mm-hmm. it, it really takes a toll. And, you know, I don't think I ever truly understood that. Um, I mean, so white, cisgender, straight, male, you know, I checked the boxes of like the norms of society Um, And in a lot of ways, it it often makes it difficult to understand some of those more nuanced ideals of self-worth that exist in society. And it wasn't until I began to have conversations uh, with people who are in the LGBT community, with people who are in the Black community, who have experienced, you know, injustices, oppressions, and things like that, that I really began to unpack this nature of how much self-worth 
is attributed to self-care. Um, it's, it's really easy to find worth in your life when you are, you know, the wasp of society. Um, <laughs> but when you don't fit into that box, it's really hard. And to sort of, to, I mean, it'd be a crime to not talk about that in the, in the midst of, of self-care because it's so hard to care for yourself when you are not able to fully express yourself um, as who you just identify as. And when you create this, this space, especially the space of Wesley Brothers, the spaces of the, the, the beloved church community that you are a part of, uh, the family, the friends who were right there beside you, um, it, it be, I hope that it continues to instill that nature of worth within your life as you continue to move forward. And as these, uh, as you continue to have these conversations, as we continue to have these conversations around a denomination. Um, and so as we just continue to unpack this nature of self-worth, you know, what is it, what does it look like both on your best days and maybe even your worst days when it comes to, you know, when you're having, a, I think when you're having a really good day and, and you're able to identify that self-worth, probably self-care comes a little bit easier because you're able to really know and be attuned with where you are. But then I'm sure on those worst days, it's really hard. You know, maybe when someone is not respecting who you are, um, you have, I mean, I can think of many times where I've had friends in the LGBTQ community who have just felt like they've gotten hit over the head with a sledgehammer, just been attacked. <laughs> um, and so on your best days, on your worst days, when your self-worth is at its highest, when your self-care worth is at its lowest, what does self-care look like Yeah, when you're trying to care for your self-worth at the same time, or you're trying to identify your self-worth at the same time? Sure. Um, I would say... Um... For me, uh, part of really uh, intentionally shaping that um, comes from a, a work-life balance that I did not used to have. Um, when I when my self worth was very low, uh, it 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 uh, showed itself by being a workaholic. So I put mm. all of my worth into my achievements and what people thought about my productivity. And so I, I worked myself to death and, um, and that actually just continued to snowball the low sense of self-worth. Cause it was like, well, now they only love me because of what I can do for them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but now I, I um, have just, and maybe it's because COVID changed <laughs> you know, how active I could be at work or couldn't be at work. Um, I, I do uh, have a much healthier um, view of uh, my, my self-worth is not in whether or not this event that I'm trying to create for all these people goes perfectly. Um, my self-worth is not wrapped up in my ratings, <laughs> you know, or how many email subscribers I have for Wesley Brothers or um, how many likes a comic gets. Um, my, my worth is intrinsic and it's, it's named by God. And um, so uh, on my best days, that means my, my work-life balance is probably means I'm, I'm outside more. <laughs> I, I'm, 
I'm playing with my kids more. Um, I'm listening to more uh, vinyl albums on my record player. Um, and uh, on the days where maybe it's not at its best, um, maybe I'm binge watching a little bit of TV. <laughs> um, because it's a, a form of escape from having to think about things, um, but not necessarily super productive or or necessarily helpful. Um, but uh, I, I will say, um, uh, on on my worst days, um, usually those days are bad because something has brought back past trauma from my closeted life. And um, it's um, just because a person is out and proud mm -hmm. does not mean he, she, or they does not still battle with internalized homophobia. Um, it's very easy to be out and proud and also struggle with the fact that I'm almost exclusively in straight spaces every hour of my life. Um, and even in affirming spaces, it's easy to feel like, oh, gosh, I'm so different. Do I actually belong? It, it, mm. You know? <laughs> um, and so, I mean, thankfully... I am very privileged to be in very affirming spaces. Um, but it, it also, it kind of helps me to see um, how that can be true for so many people. Um, so, so many, you know, maybe women who are working in primarily male environments, um, African-Americans or uh, uh, other people, um, <laughs> primarily in white environments and um and the majority of people there have no concept that that they're perpetuating a particular culture like yeah. a male culture or a white culture or mm. a straight culture to them it's just normal um and um yeah i i do find sometimes it feels like uh you have to work three times as hard because if you're the first gay pastor a church has had, then you like, you could ruin it for all future gay pastors if you blow it. Yeah. Um, which I know for a fact is how, you know, women pastor feel if they're the first female pastor at a church or if you're the first black pastor at a white church or first Korean pastor at a white church. Um, there's this added pressure to, um, to uh, be, to prove for everyone like you that, that you belong in this job or in this, um, and that you can do it well. Um, so um, I do try to process that with other people who have similar life experiences. Um, my closest friends are all straight and, um, but I have made some, some queer friends online that we haven't necessarily met in person. But um, some of uh, most of whom grew up in the church, particularly the evangelical church, and like me, came out later in life. And um, some of them being pastors, um, and and so that that is a tremendous help um, on on my worst days to um, find a community that has some kind of shared lived experience.
And I think we hear the way in which, again, self-worth attached to this manner of, of physically, of actively, of just caring for ourselves, like not active in like running, biking or anything like that, but just active as in like doing it. It becomes so mm -hmm. hard um, because we do, you know, when our self-worth isn't where it should be, we feel like we don't deserve to care for ourselves. Oh, yeah. Um, which can be a hill to climb for a lot of people. Uh, and, and when your self-worth becomes attached to one variable about yourself, right? Uh, and, <laughs> and, and it becomes the sole thing by which you are judged. Um, I think whether a person is LGBT, whether uh, anything is that I think that a lot of the listeners can probably latch on to that one attribute about themselves that they are constantly, uh, whether it is a title, whether it is a part of their identity, whether it is a part of their orientation, whether it's just an embedded part of their life, that finding that way in nature in which other people are judging our self-worth very much correlates to how we care for ourselves uh, because when we're trying to care for ourselves and we're in that mindful space it can become the only it can become an all-consuming thing um, and it sounds like that's one of the things that played into your experience as a closeted gay person you know before you came out mm -hmm. um and and your 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 talk about about that a little while ago, um, so much so to direct it into now using this ministry, not just Wesley Brothers, but but even your role as a um, uh, a youth director, a children's director, your your role in the church of of how are you taking these things? Uh, how has your role in these spaces? not not changed because i don't know that i mean you're still a pastor right <laughs> you're still yeah. the creator of wesley brothers uh how has your passion for these things transformed how has how has uh the manner in which you've identified your own self-worth uh the way in which you've developed healthy self-care lifestyle uh in terms of being able to live freer as a, a person who identifies as gay, who is, um, you know, for lack of a, a better phrase, out of the closet, who has friends around them who are affirming, how has that given you maybe a greater sense of freedom within yourself? Um, not necessarily, again, not necessarily in the church, but within yourself sometimes to, to be able to express that. I don't even know yeah. if I'm asking. I hope I'm asking that question right. And if I'm not, I yeah. apologize. No, I follow you. Um, so uh, a couple of things come to mind. Um, the first is um, I spent so much of my teenage and adult life aware of uh, maybe affectations in my voice or mannerisms that I had with my body that were quickly judged as not masculine. Mm. And so um, I, I, I had, I really hadn't realized until the last year or so how much of my life had been spent trying to play a straight person. Um, how much like 
a subconscious brain space was given to just, oh, you can't talk that way. Mm. Um, uh, you can't use your hands that way. Uh, your posture kind of is going to tell people. Um, it's so like when you're afraid of people knowing you're gay, um, you really, you, you try to present yourself as straight as possible. And in my terms, as masculine as I possibly could, which um, apparently didn't fool everybody, but um, <laughs> um, now I, um, I, I honestly don't care how gay I sound or act, you know, based on people's stereotypes. Um, I feel personally much more free to be myself in most circumstances, uh, in my fullest self. And um, I had no idea how much space in my soul had been taken up uh, just to, for self-preservation and uh, out of fear of other people. Um, uh, I've, by and large, I, I haven't experienced profound anxiety or depression in over two years. Mm. Um, and that was something that was a regular part of my life for about a decade, probably. Um, and uh, in ministry, um, coming out, and then uh, kids showing up to youth group suddenly wearing rainbow masks during the pandemic to show their support. And um, like there was a part of me that was afraid the teenage boys would suddenly kind of withdraw from me because they didn't want to be associated with a gay man. But not a single teenage boy in my youth group was weirded out at all. Like, um, and, and so once I realized uh, that it, it wasn't doing any damage to my ministry with my people. Um, I felt even more free to, uh, be more honest in my preaching. Um, uh, I noticed, um, I was paying better attention to the overall mental health of my students and trying to teach them self-care practices and self-worth practices. Um, and I've found students uh, feeling more comfortable coming to me with things that they hadn't been telling other people before. Mm. Um, uh, but also, um, I, I feel like the, um, the authenticity of my gospel presentation, once it was true for me, you know, I guess I'd been preaching faith till I had it, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, I, I do think there was a noticeable felt change in the message um, coming from my ministry after I came out. Um, certainly, I experienced, I've experienced much more life and abundant life and joy. <laughs> there's there's like i have a spiritual director and i'm like i've been riding on joy for like over a year now is that gonna like fade at some time like am i gonna become super depressed again and she was like you know what even if you do become super depressed again uh remember this tremendously long season of joy you're experiencing right now and you can hold on to that whatever comes in the next season of your life um which I, I love that. Um, one more thing. Um, it, as, as my former partner, my wife and I um, 
separated and, and processed all that we had had together, um, which, which is called a mixed orientation wedding, mm-hmm. wedding marriage, uh, when you have a straight person married to a gay person, um, even if the other person doesn't know it. Um, so there was a lot of processing to be done with what love had actually meant between us and what our friendship had actually meant between us. Um, and, you know, we have two amazing children as a result of that marriage. And we have what I would think is a very lasting, lifelong friendship rooted in 16 years of being married together. Um, and so I've been able to look back even through very traumatic and painful times in my life and now see uh, the hand of God um, always present and um, always guiding me. Um, and that doesn't mean I always made the right choices, but it, it's, it's brought me to a place of gratitude for the life that I've been given. Mm-hmm. And um, before I really struggled practicing gratitude. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I mean, I think that there's a lot of folks who get mixed up in that uh, and, mm-hmm. and relating it back to that manner of self-worth. Um, I, I, it's hard to be grateful for anything that we have if we're not first grateful for who we are mm-hmm. um, and and who we've been created to be. Because I think at the end of the day, that's what a lot of this comes down to. And I think that as we look out as a church, as we look out as individuals, as we look out as a society, when what form does self-care have? And, and I think this is why self-care becomes so important because if we truly are called to love our neighbor as ourselves, what does it say either that we struggle to love our neighbor mm-hmm. or that we even struggle to love ourselves? And then what does that say about the love that we may be giving our neighbor? Um, is it true and genuine? Uh, is it is it rooted in that true sense of grace that is embedded within us from the moment of our own birth, from the moment of just creation in general, uh, in which God has loved us? Uh, I mean, it's for for me, and 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 I'm sure. As, as we consider this role of self-worth and for the listeners of this podcast, as they consider this role of self-worth in their own lives. Um, and if you're listening right now, you know, no matter how you identify, whether, whether you're closeted, whether you're out, whether you have a part of you that you feel is being judged when it comes time to understanding this label of self-worth, I hope that this conversation is something that helps us to understand that self-worth and our identity of self-worth is directly correlated to self-care and is a, and is a, a, a crucial part of how we're able to care for ourselves. Um, and so as you're helping your students, be, I, I want to take an opportunity to say to, for, for this to kind of come out, because I'm sure that there are people who are listening to, who are going to listen to uh, your story, the stories of others. And they want to know for themselves, right? And I know that you can't offer all of the answers. I know <laughs> I can't offer all of the answers. And uh, and as a pastor who deeply loves community, it can be so hard not to have all the answers. Right. Um, how are how are you teaching self worth 
uh, self-care. What does that look like as you're helping the youth around you understand um, the people who are in your church, who are around you in ministry, uh, your own family, your own kids, your, your friends, your colleagues, how are you helping them? How are you teaching them self-worth? Um, so this is true of a lot of school districts around the country, but uh, my school district is Chapel Hill, you know, where UNC is. And uh, there is a tremendous amount of pressure for students to not just academically succeed, but to stand out from the other peers at their highly successful high school. And so um, it, it's not uncommon to have teenagers in my youth group who are crying at small group because their parents told them their A minus wasn't good enough. Um, and, and it is very easy for teenagers in that kind of environment to completely put their self-worth in their achievements. And so um, in our youth ministry, um, we, we um, I mean, we celebrate our diversity and the many giftedness of our people, but we don't make a parade out of it. We don't mm. showcase each other's differences as if, what makes you special is the only reason you deserve to be beloved. Um, so I think it's very easy to think um, uh, uh, we need to highlight the, the gay kids in our youth group that they're gay. Mm -hmm. um, but that kind of reinforces this false belief that uh, one part of who you are is the whole of who you are. Yeah. Um, so, uh, we're, we're just kind of constantly helping the kids, um, process their lived experience in a very high achievement based culture, um, and, and rest over and over again in just the grace of God that washes over them. And so, um, uh, one way that, uh, I've kind of lived into that this past semester is um, we took kind of an, a, a template from Ignatian prayer where you um, you read a portion of a scripture story and then pause and kind of do imaginative prayer, you know, like mm -hmm. what are, what sounds are you hearing? What are you smelling? Is Jesus looking at you? You know, those sorts of things. And um, like, we'll just take, 10 to 15 minutes in youth group reading the scripture and doing imaginative prayer. And like, it's, um, it's, it's kind of renewing these kids. Like they're uh, like, even the kids with like severe ADHD are into it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, like it's, it's like a moment to actually rest and believe what we say we believe. Um, and so, um, I have like a youth leadership team, so it's, it's students who apply, um, and they have the minimum requirements of them, but mostly it's a, I call it group therapy. It's just some of the most high achieving kids in the youth group coming together and just being allowed to be teenagers for once. 
um, and uh, we don't have to accomplish anything other than that. So um, I, I would say my ministry model is highly laid back because most of these kids have nowhere else in their lives to be highly laid back. Yeah. Um, and I, I really try to um, engage a lot of adults in youth ministry. I have a lot of adult volunteers. And um, really the, the most pressure I put on them is show up both physically and mentally. Um, we're not going to ask you to do anything you don't want to do. Just be present with the kids and take interest in them. And that has, it's, it's, it's borne a lot of fruit. And it sounds like it's a self-affirming space. So while it doesn't seek to individualize one piece of one person's being, it seeks to celebrate who the person is. And it seeks yeah. to lift up just the inherent nature of worth within each one of these students, um, within each one of these persons. Um, and, you know, I think it's oftentimes that can be the best place to begin is just yeah. to let them know that no matter what those one, two, you know, I think we've talked about it on the podcast before of just maybe these titles that we bring in, you know, they're not, we're not our titles. I am a pastor, but I am not just a pastor. I'm right. also a husband. I'm a father. I am a runner. I am all of these things. And just remember that I am who I am. All of these things make I am Andrew, right? You mm -hmm. are Charlie. Uh, and, and it's a reminder that I am worthy just by the nature that I am Andrew and you are Charlie. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be anything else. And to feel like that we can be who we are, no matter where we are. Um, and so friends, as you're listening to this, you know, I mean, I want to lift up here in the conversation. I'm going to put this in the intro. I'll probably mention it again in the outro. But I mean, friends, if you're struggling with these kinds of things, um, I hope that this conversation, as we continue to unpack a theology of self-care, um, because that, that's what I want to do here. I want to unpack this theology of how we care for ourselves is, is that if you need help in that self-worth area, you know, I think one of the greatest things that I could imagine Charlie or, or myself saying is find someone who will love and care for you in that, in that way and in that space. And sometimes I think that's a little hard because we often are very, uh, timid about, well, who can I trust? Yeah. Um, and, you know, if you're listening, you know, I, I will raise my hand as a safe space. Um, I know many uh, clergy colleagues and friends who will raise their hands as safe spaces. Um, you know, hopefully there are those in your community as well that you can find safe spaces. But um, Charlie, I want to thank you for coming in and having this conversation. Sure. Uh, as we unpack this nature of self-worth and friends, the conversation does not end here because this is um, a, a really crucial and a really hard thing to do. Um, and it's something that we all deal with every day. But uh, before we uh, depart our time together, Charlie, let's let's wrap up these end of podcast questions. Yeah. What's something that makes you feel accomplished? Uh, I installed a garbage disposal and new blinds and I'm building a closet. And that makes me feel very accomplished. I love that because <laughs> I need to put a door on our bathroom and I have not gotten to that. 
Yes. Home <laughs> improvement makes me feel accomplished. <laughs> oh, that is great. I just wish I could clean my house. That might make me feel accomplished <laughs> sometimes. Um, all right. Well, what about upcoming goals? We heard home improvement has made you feel accomplished. What are some upcoming goals that you have? Yeah, I am in the middle of writing a very lengthy series on Wesley Brothers called The History of Incompatibility. Um, and my goal is to collect it as a full-length comic book. And uh, if I can't find a publisher, then I would like to self-publish it. That is an amazing goal. I've been, I have been enjoying the series so much because it highlights things that I honestly, um, as someone who's been a part of this denomination for a long time, it's, it's, it's caused me to really reflect and look at it. Um, you know, uh, again, like I'll link the, the Wesley brothers in the podcast notes. I'll let folks know. Um, but, but I mean, it's been an amazing series and I know I've enjoyed it. I would love to be able to put a, put a copy of it on my shelf and, and help, help others as well. It's a great, um, I love reading comics to begin with. And so this kind of merges together my two great passions mm -hmm. in the world. That is comic books and Wesleyan history. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so who do you go to when life gets tough? Uh, I'd probably say uh, my fiance, Tim, is the first person I go to. Um, I think we were absolutely made for each other and um, completely understand each other. Um, and I absolutely can come to him with anything. Um, also very fortunate to have some very close friends. Um, and, you know, sometimes I just need to talk to my mom. So I, <laughs> I, I, I feel very lucky that I have a, a good network of people um, to talk to when times get tough. And then, um, you know, I'll, I'll kind of rephrase this uh, since it is a little bit of a different episode, but. But aside from drawing, what are some other ways that you practice self-care? Oh, uh, absolutely. It would be cooking dinner for my family. Ooh. You I know, you... just love to get in the kitchen and chop everything up and saute it. And Oh, man. <laughs> I am... I am like 150% positive that my love language is food because <laughs> people just start talking about food and I'm like, yes, yes. Can I come over for dinner? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love to cook food. I love to eat food. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh man, that, that is great. Well, Charlie, thank you so much for coming on and, and yeah, offering this witness and this ministry for us. So uh, uh, thank you so much. All right. It's been a pleasure, Andrew. Without even knowing it, I think that I put myself in a conversation that I was not anticipating. When I invited Charlie to come on, I wanted to talk about Wesley Brothers. I wanted to talk about his comic books. I wanted to talk about reaching out. You know, I always have runners on here. I wanted to find different ways to highlight. We can take care of ourselves. And this conversation became so much more friends because of who Charlie is, because of how Charlie identifies and it became a conversation about self-worth because we see within the, the way that LGBT people have been treated in this country, in across this world, and especially by the United Methodist Church at times, that self-worth can be a hard thing. And Charlie has brought into this conversation the way in which self-worth is so attached to our understanding of self-care. 
and how we must feel worthy in ourselves in order to love ourselves. And I just love this conversation that Charlie has started. Um, I hope that in that episode, you heard that nature in which you can begin to build your own self-worth as you continue to develop your own theology of self-care. And friends, I know it is a difficult and a terrible struggle sometimes, but if, if you are feeling worthless, if you are feeling low self-worth, or friends, if you are part of that LGBTQ plus community and you are having a difficult time right now, message me. I am here for you. I am a pastor who loves you. Know that God loves you. Know that there are folks who are here to support you uh, in who you are, in who uh, you identify as. And so please know that you are loved no matter who you are, no matter how you identify any of those things. And this podcast is a safe space for that. And I hope it to be. And so please, please uh, let me know if you need uh, someone to talk to. Uh, as you heard, Charlie is another person. And, and we have folks in our active faith community on Facebook who would be those supportive voices as well. But know that you are loved. And that is the, that is the first and greatest thing that I think we can offer to one another as we seek to share and express this type of self-care within our communities. And so I want to thank you for joining us this day. Thank you for checking out this podcast. Uh, don't forget to check out our show notes. I'm going to have all sorts of uh, information about Charlie, about Wesley Brothers, about all that stuff, ways that you can uh, check out his comics, ways that you can support the ministry that he is doing with Wesley Comics. Go and check those notes out. Also check out our Active Faith community on Facebook. As always, that is a community of folks gathering together, supporting and encouraging one another. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. Make sure that you don't miss an episode. These episodes will just go right into your podcast feed, whatever your favorite podcasting app is, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, uh, any of the other podcasting apps. Make sure you find Active Faith Podcast. Just hit that subscribe button. Um, and then please, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, leave a rating. Uh, I would love it if you would leave a review as well. Help others know that you are loving this podcast. Let's continue to build this community. And please, uh, if you would not mind, this is a completely listener-supported podcast. That is, you all who are listening uh, here on this podcast help to support, help to make sure that this mini ministry continues to happen. Uh, you do that with your ratings and reviews, but also, friends, if you would do that on Patreon. Uh, go to patreon.com slash runinrev. That's runin, no G at the end, runinrev. Um, you are, I invite you to give as much as uh, you feel called to give to this ministry to help uh, to be able to support me as I continue to do this podcast, as I continue to do all of these active faith things. And I hope that you will uh, support this ministry as we continue to do this work, continue to do these self-care things. And lastly, you know, the greatest thing, the easiest thing I hope it is to share this podcast with a friend, to share it on your social media. Uh, be sure to tag the podcast at Active Faith Pod. Tag me at runnin underscore rev on Instagram. Uh, and, and I will give you a shout out. Uh, that is something that I love to see, love to do. And so if you tag me, if you don't tag me, sometimes I can't see it. Uh, and so I try and catch some of those. But uh, if you tag me, I will give you a shout out. I love shouting out those of you uh, as we are going on this journey together. 
And now may God bless each of us and may we find ways to stay active in and for God's kingdom. Amen.